0: The stories are sort of, to me, like messages in a bottle from shores someone else has visited first.
1: Yes, and you're visiting those shores now.
2: the Pencil Town Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Here in Pencil Town, we examine the craft of storytelling through comics, films, books, poetry, wherever our curiosity may take us. Our ultimate goal is to bring our discoveries back into the world of comics to enrich our storytelling and create more emotional and engaging narratives. This is a very special episode for us. It's going to sort of act as our season one wrap up. And it's going to allow us the chance to reflect on what we've done on the podcast thus far. We're going to share some recent lessons learned uh, over the course of this podcast with regards to our own storytelling work. And most excitingly, we're going to read some listener feedback. You've heard from uh, three main co-hosts throughout this first season Uh, But this is Pencil Town, and we really want to emphasize the town aspect of that today. And what better way to celebrate this idea than to hear some stage wisdom offered from the comic community in, I believe, all of these people are from Calgary, Alberta. So today we'll be sharing some fascinating and super helpful advice from all these talented creators uh, on a personal note, I've been living in Scotland for a year and a half, and I miss all of these people so damn much. To be able to open my email and see all of this incredible advice and all of this knowledge sharing from all of these people that I miss so dearly, uh, it just felt really damn good. It was like I was talking with them again. So I'm really excited to share what we have with you today, and I think you're going to learn a lot of really great lessons. Uh, but before we go any further, I have to introduce my co-hosts. Who have been with me throughout the first season of the show, Jason Nemel and Sho Yuhara. Uh Jason, say hello. Maybe say what you've been up to. Update us with any big changes, updates, progress throughout the year.
0: Uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting year. I think that's probably the definition of twenty twenty for everybody. <laughs> you bet. Um, uh, we're also recording this the day after the solstice, so like maybe this is the when things start to turn around. Things start to get brighter. You know, there's vaccines, there's changes in in the world that are happening. Um, Yeah, this was, uh, uh, creatively, There's a lot of ways I was stuck in terms of storytelling that wasn't uh, specifically theatrical, making plays happen and stuff. Um, But I feel like I've broken through a lot lot of that recently, and I'll I'll get into more details on that later. And um, yeah, working on some scripting projects and some some storytelling projects. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to 2021 being a year of a lot more stuff rather than uh, uh, being stuck in a cycle that I was kind of locked in in the last year.
2: Excellent. Thanks so much for sharing. Uh, Show. how about you? Say hello. What have you been up to?
1: Hello. Uh, not too much other than just consistently, you know, writing and sketching in my sketchbooks, um, workshopping uh, the one main story that I'm working on. And then also I tend to I tend to, uh, deviate a little bit here and there, especially when I've got an idea that just is, feels fresh and it's a different story idea. So sometimes I'll go on, on these little tangents that hopefully don't, you know, take too long and I get it out of my system and then kind of go back on course, um, where, uh, focus is like, is paramount <laughs> I'm finding and, and it can be a struggle sometimes, but, uh, um, yeah, just just working away, just working away on my comics, and yeah, trying to breathe some life into them, um, in the pre-production stage, if you will. So,
2: ah, very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's always my uh, favorite time to see you doing your thing because you always have these sketchbooks full of incredible ideas that I can peruse. And oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. love your thumbnails.
1: I do want to get out of pre-production sooner than later, so <laughs> and get into final. Into production.
2: (laughs) I'm going to take a wild guess and and, and say maybe that's your favorite part of the process. (laughs) Uh,
1: Pre-production? Oh, man. I hope not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Cool. All right. Well, thanks for sharing, fellas. Um, For myself, I'd say probably the biggest changes I've gone through this year were finally finishing up my Master's of Design at the University of Dundee. So I full-on had my graduation and received my certificate in the mail. So it is official. Um, which is very mm. exciting. That feels nice. real. Yeah. We didn't get to walk the stage, but I have a piece of paper, so <laughs> you can't argue that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the other big thing is I just finished a big uh, comic job working for James Davidge um, and a fellow named Brian Singh. So there's a book that is going to be released in the new year called Change Agents from Renegade Arts Entertainment. And that was a really fun intense project to work on and i am excited to show that and uh, talk to people about it more in okay. 2021 so without further ado let's dive into our digital mailbag uh, because we did get some <laughs> feedback uh, yeah. on our first episodes are you guys uh pumped to jump in there Woo! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. pumped <laughs> good All right, so this first comment comes to us from our buddy Gord Cummings in Calgary, Alberta. I used to make comics with Gord way back in the day. He's a great human being and a great creator. Uh, this is on our first episode, Issue Zero. He said, Great first episode, gentlemen. I miss having people around to talk about this aspect of creation. This helps. While it was a bit of an aside in the episode, the notion of art being too good is worthy to explore. I don't know how you could do that without pooping on so many people's work, but the point that can be made is that in the craft of graphic storytelling, the arts and the words have to complement each other. I don't think that enough people understand this aspect of the medium. It's easy to say it, but it's so important and a difficult balance to achieve. Thanks for the podcast and looking forward to the future episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, thank you, Gord. Uh, This comment is... Yeah, something I kind of said offhand about how sometimes art can be too good in comics. And uh, it's sort of a, a subject that kept coming back while I was doing my master's. And I found this really great uh, examination of the comics of Chris Ware by Gene Cannenberg Jr. from the book, The Language of Comics. And Chris Ware was talking about his work and saying how when he drew, he never wanted the drawings to get in the way of the story And if you've seen Chris Ware's art, you see that it's very detailed, but it's also very stripped down, very efficient and simple. Um, He essentially creates art that acts as a symbol that can be digested just as quickly as a word uh, so that it doesn't interfere with the narrative. So his art is less about highly rendered drawings full of detail that can distract. Um, So like I said, he's sort of using symbols uh, that meld with the text of the comic to create this common language. I would say other artists who are similar to this are David Mazzucchelli, Emily Carroll, Nick Trisano. They're all artists who have, throughout their career, managed to simplify their style more and more, and yet the storytelling just gets better and better. Do mm-hmm. um, you guys have any comments about that kind of idea? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, like I think uh, Gord was kind of really calling out uh, or, or, or calling into, I guess the idea of of storytelling being important um, as a as a component of the art versus a, a focus on the art itself. And you're saying like not pooping on other people's work. I think like maybe it's uh, with with the distance of time, it's safe to be critical of uh, maybe the early image days of uh, the image comics, where there was definitely a um, a focus on art and a, a, a sort of a secondary focus on storytelling from a a craftsmanship point of view um Mm -hmm. uh, because i think you can definitely see that you can see art that uh, that uh, overpowers a story double page spreads that aren't contributing but are in fact are packed to the gills and hard to hard to to read per se but they look cool um and then compare that to to i think a much more refined aesthetic and what we see a lot a lot of modern comics now where there's a there is generally an understanding that that uh, that, that, that a page has to contribute. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm just, I think I'm like, that's an overarching quality, but I think I really agree with Gord's sentiment there.
1: Yeah, I think Uh I do too. Um, I'm kind of uh, reminded of just sort of like uh, Jeff Smith's process in comparison to somebody like a master like Mobius, um, and how, like I'm, I'm sort of caught between the two where, um, where Jeff Smith intentionally makes sure that, or tries to uh, make sure that the panels are, there, there aren't many elements to distract from the pacing of the story. And oftentimes he'll have backgrounds that are practically just like, just subtle lines that that imply a ground and then that's it. There's really not a whole lot else to the background. That way the, the reader focuses on the, the, the speech bubbles and the acting in in Bone. Um, whereas um, with Mobius, um, you get to live in this amazing world of, of imagination and, and, and craft and, and detail. Um, it's so lush and so vivid, um, and yet also can retain a lot of um, storytelling power. Um, so it's just kind of interesting to see two different masters take slightly different approaches, but still but still ultimately get to the same, same place. Um, mm. And these are very subtle things, but if, yeah, if it, take a look at like Mobius's stuff, anybody who's listening out there and, and, and also take a look at, at Jeff Smith's bone and, and, and you'll, you'll, you can see that like, there's no really one right way to go about it per se. Um, but there is a balance. There is, there seems to be a balance that's at play with imagery and with detail and with the words and, and simplicity seems to be seems to be a, a very hard thing to walk. Um, is it too simple or is it too detailed?
0: I uh, I'm going to be spoiling my Pencil Town Spotlight here, but uh, I reread Asterios Polyp recently, uh-huh. um, and uh, part of what the reason I bring it up here now is because Mazikee drew that, and Mazikee is is a master at simplicity. Like uh, uh, City of Glass is a great example of that, but in Asterios Polyp. The art is good and contributes to the story. Um, like he, in fact, he's often using artistic practice to uh, to help bring a character moment to light um, in really interesting ways. So that's that was something else to, to kind of think about like uh, where it's not about the art being too good that it's distracting, but it is about making sure that that, that refinement, that like that level of detail, uh has a story point has a has something that is pushing the narrative forward uh we actually compare that i also reread hard-boiled recently Mm -hmm. um jeff darrow's work yeah yeah but that that's a guy where you get the impression that the story literally is secondary it is about each page that you can spend half an hour looking at every line that he's drawn and all these all this crazy detail
1: yeah
0: um because you can read the book in about 12 minutes but you can like you can consume each page in exactly that same amount of time mm-hmm. and then like read it over the course of a day. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's even more like hyper, hyper detail in like Shaolin cowboy uh, where mm. it's a wordless, basically a wordless um, comic series. And the details in there are just amazing and insane. Um yeah, I
2: was just gonna mention like if you're gonna have art that detailed and intense, you, you might just think about abandoning text altogether because you're this. It's the story is being told so visually, and it's demanding so much of the audience. It's like forget about the text; just dive into that world, and let mm-hmm. the visuals do the telling.
1: Mm, very interesting.
2: Uh, the, I'll say the the first time I noticed this as, as a reader, this idea of art being too good, was when I was reading Sean Gordon Murphy. Um, who did Punk Rock Jesus and Mm. Tokyo Ghost. I just found that I would always get halfway through his comic and I'd never finish it. Uh, I'd never finish reading it, but Mm. I would always be poring over the pages. Like I'd always stop, look how he drew this thing. It's like, oh, that motorbike is crazy cool. Oh, look at all these buildings. How did he do that? Blah, blah, blah. And I would never finish the story. Mm. And I, (laughs) I don't know if that is something about the writing or whatever, but part of me was like, wow, is this art too... Too good? Should I not be paying this much attention? How do we streamline it down?
1: Well, it's interesting Uh, because it's like I find like it's even more of a challenge when you have writer and artist, right? Two uh, two, two people essentially. Um, And they really have to be working, I think, in close, uh, very closely um, in order to get the same beat and the same, to essentially have the same rhythms. Um, Mm -hmm. I do find that's, that's, seems like a very uh rare thing in in comics but when you do see it it's like holy shit that really works
2: Mm -hmm. right absolutely
1: yeah i swore Uh,
2: i'm sorry (laughs) oh oh, i was waiting for it i was like when's he going to be relaxed enough to swear that's good we're past the road (laughs) we're past that point (laughs) <laughs> i've been i've been clicking this podcast as explicit from now on because i notice how many times i casually drop the f-bomb so uh, don't fucking worry about it Joe. <laughs> uh, all but right yeah. let's, move on. <laughs> let's move on to our second letter here from yeah. uh, would you look at that a fellow named Gord from calgary alberta uh one of our uh more uh, steady Uh, and repeated listeners. So thanks, Gord, for sending in another letter. This one is about our episode theme, part one, The Awakening. Gord says, listening to the podcast this morning, big questions presented here, and I have an opinion about this because I think that part of the job of the storyteller is to be a teacher. This can be the case even if all the storyteller is doing is presenting the question." I don't think that the author has the responsibility to even give a tidy worldview in answering those questions, but just bringing awareness to the question. The starting question could be the theme." Right off the bat, there's huge things that we were talking about. like I was saying I really do believe that storytellers are teachers, and if they're not, then maybe they should be working towards thinking about what they believe and what they want to teach. Um, And then Jason, you were mentioning that theme is less of a statement of belief and more of a a dramatic question. Um, Mm -hmm. So those things are really resonating with me. Um, Gord says, I want to be entertained, but I also want to be improved by reading a story. If I am only entertained, then I feel it was a waste of my time. Goddamn, I feel so closely. I go to my entertainment with this feeling like I want to be changed by this movie by this show by this comic and if i don't even get a sense that i was challenged at all or they try to teach me something then i usually feel like oh wow okay it was 30 minutes i won't get back what was the point of that which is a lot of pressure <laughs> to put on my entertainment but yeah. it's just sort of is where i'm at right now which is you know it's <laughs> my own detriment sometimes
1: <laughs> that's where i'm always uh, at
2: yeah <laughs> yeah i pretty much figured you were the same there show <laughs> um, i'm I'm, the, I'm right there too i think uh
0: uh I, I I won't go too far down this road, but I think uh, one thing that I think is interesting is that I don't think that's a universal uh, belief. I think there are a lot of people who do specifically see uh, um, their entertainment as a thing to, to be only entertained. It's, it's their It's an escape. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I have, I have another thought, but I want you to get through the rest of Gord's uh, letter before I get to the end of that thought.
2: Sure. Um, yeah. And then he says, even if you attempt to avoid theme completely, it's still going to find its way into the story. And it comes from the concept of culture. That's also something we really discuss is the idea that there's going to be a theme right into your work, no matter what. So why not be in control of it a little bit? Anyways, Mm -hmm. Gord continues. But I have to say, I start with a theme, but I don't keep myself beholden to that theme. I let the story take on its own message, and hopefully the message is ambiguous enough that the reader can come to their own conclusions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gord goes on to recommend two books where the story may not be that strong, but he says the theme probably makes up for it, and that's kind of interesting. Uh, One of them is Dear Scarlet by Teresa Wong, who's a Calgarian um, creator, Um, and Teresa illustrates the story of her struggle with postpartum depression in the form of a letter to her daughter, Scarlet. And then the second one is Entropy by Aaron Costain from Victoria, BC. And this story follows a golem with a surprisingly modern sensibility and an even more modern sense of style as he backtracks through millennia to understand his own creation. Really good recommendations there, Gord. Thanks very much. And thank you for your letter. Yeah, Jason, you wanted to dip into something?
0: Yeah, um, the this is uh, connected to Gord's point about even if you attempt to avoid theme completely, it's still gonna find its way into the story. Uh, and comes from the concept of culture. I think uh, so. A lot of a lot of readers in a lot of mediums are specifically looking for distraction, escapism, uh, pure entertainment. Um, I think uh, Gord's point is is really true here: is that whether or not the audience wants to take take a theme from the story, whether or not the creator wants to take a theme from uh, put a theme into the story, it's going to be in there anyway. There is an implicit uh, uh, nature of theme. By the nature of telling a story in any way, because you're asking somebody to imagine something that didn't happen and what that might feel like, uh, these things I think will create emergent themes. So I think that's that's the 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 thing uh, from a storytelling podcast perspective is that like you might as, as like Nick said, you uh, if they're going to read a theme into your story anyway, you might as well control what it is because even if you're saying I would just want to tell uh, a great Batman story where he punches the Joker in the face. Uh, and all your reader wants is a Batman story where he punches Joker in the face, there is still something that they're going to be, that's going to be validating something for them. That's going to be proving something to them or, uh, um, uh, or or excusing something for them, all kinds of things. And so you might as well think about it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, I haven't seen snakes on a plane in a long time. (laughs) Uh, and um so i'd have to watch it again or maybe i don't really don't want to but um i'm sure (laughs) even a movie like that you know hollywood execs or or, or producers whatever would probably still be like okay we need to at least make it seem like we're we're trying to do something here that you know you can, can appeal to uh, not just folks that just wants to see something ridiculous and nonsensical, but, oh, maybe we can imply or, or get the sense that we're trying to say something when really we're not at all, and we're just trying to entertain people.
2: Do um, you think they tried to fake a theme in there? They tried to fake a theme into Snakes on a Plane? Well,
1: I don't know about Snakes on a Plane per se, but I, I, I can honestly say <laughs> I have seen it in other material, and... Uh,
2: and, yeah. and that's the, that's the stuff where it's shoehorned in right at the end with the main character almost looking at the camera and saying about, it's all about love, it will bring us together, right? Yeah, which so. is
1: complete bullshit, you know, and it's so, if, yeah. if if you know that you need to have it in there anyway, why not just be genuine about it in the first place? Yeah.
0: Well, and, and I think that, like, again, I really want to push this, that there's, that there's going to be, there's a quality to theme that can't be helped, you know? Um, uh, that I think like, you, like somebody can explicitly try to reject putting a lesson into their work. And even that is a statement, you know, um, mm. uh, it's, it's a statement that escapism is valuable or that, um, yeah, I just really like G- Gord's point about it being like, people are going to read something into it because that is the nature of story. I think, so. you know,
1: I think, you know, cause we all need escapism and, um, but at, at some mm-hmm. point we have to, all of us eventually need to stop escaping whatever it is we're escaping and kind of come to terms with whatever it is that we're running away from right Mm -hmm. um and and it's not to say that running running away doesn't have its value but eventually you have to stop running at some point you got to stop running and uh you know that's where stories come in i think where they you know both entertain and give you something to be like hey shit that that's the answer i was looking for you know um who who would have thought i would have found that in a sci-fi movie or in a Western or in a, in a vampire story, you know, um, those are, those are kind of like nice little um, extras. You can have a little extra mm-hmm. to your entertainment. You know,
2: usually I can tell if a story's theme just like worked well. If I suddenly burst into tears without any buildup or lead up, <laughs> and I had no idea it was coming. I'm like, Oh shit. I think there's a theme, because there's just something about (laughs) all of these story threads coalescing, and then building up to this moment that I couldn't predict, and yet in that same moment feels inevitable. And I know there were a couple moments like that in in Westworld, when all of a sudden, the first season, (laughs) let me be clear, um, where (laughs) what I was going through at the time, and the theme that they were nailing the whole season just hit, and I just, like, wept. I was like, holy shit, this Mm -hmm. is some good, this is some good thematic material here Mm -hmm. so it's an emotional Mm -hmm. response you know Mm -hmm. like we're very Mm -hmm. intellectual in how we're thinking about it right now but when it works everybody can feel it Mm yeah yeah totally yeah uh all right so that (laughs) clears up the mailbag for the season (laughs) so thanks to gord for all of his (laughs) mail donations much appreciated thank you Let us move forward, and I'm going to ask hard-hitting questions of my Pencil Town (laughs) co-hosts. One where we're going to look retrospectively or sort of at the the last, I don't know how long we've been doing this for now, maybe six months, Um, and I would like to catch up with you guys uh, in the way of, from the start of the podcast to now, do you have any new revelations or discoveries with regards to your comic process or storytelling that you really would like to share with the audience? since we started in between then and now something new that popped up you're like, Whoa, I want to tell some people about this.
1: Mm. I think if, if I may start real quick here, um, for, Go my, show. for myself, um, you know, because I, I've been a strong advocate for, you know, theme being a message and having a message is important is the story. That is the story is sort of what I believe that, that, that being said, I have, you know, enjoyed material that, Really does more about it, really does stay in the realm of just asking the question and never really answering, per se. Um, things like Ghost in the Shell, um, the 1990 uh, something I can't remember which year, but it's the very first Ghost in the Shell movie. Um, and I remember just uh, not being like not fully understanding that 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 movie at first, but but there's a real beauty to it, and it's one of those movies that were that I had to like watch over and over again. And over time, I've I've come to sort of appreciate sort of I guess storytelling like that, where it's like it's not so much concerned about giving us answers so much as exploring the questions. Um, and I guess in that one, it was it was about humanity and about what it was like between what what machine and humanity like what are the differences are there differences is there a, is there a uh, an actual difference between man and machine or are we in part just all the same um so all these different questions but they never really fully answer them I, I found that that's an interesting place that's an interesting sort of approach to, to story storytelling where you don't really give the audience answers per se um uh, but you allow them to bask in the questions and the what ifs, you know. It's very much more philosophical, and and uh, yeah, I do enjoy that. So in 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 that, so there there's that where it's like, I know that that exists and I know that that works to some degree. So it's it's kind of like this this battle inside of myself of like, well, what is it then? Is story really about theme? Is it really about a message, or is it about the question? I have no idea. Um...
2: Well, I was going to say, this is probably um, goes against the, the teachings of Brian McDonald, right? Just merely asking the questions and walling it. I'm like, oh, God, yeah. show must be having a crisis right now. Yeah,
1: I, you know, I'm imploding on the inside.
0: We, guys, we're watching show have an existential crisis live. Yeah,
1: I, I'm melting <laughs> on screen.
2: <laughs> it's very erotic. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So yeah, there's that. You know, just brain melting. That's my experience in the in the last six or so months. <laughs> it's like So a- kind of the
2: notion of open yourself up to different ways to tell stories that than you're used to?
1: I think so. I think so. At the very least I'm I'm becoming more aware of the different ways, the different approaches and, and what what the different approaches have to offer that being said I, I don't really i don't know that there is a necessarily the best way to go about it it's it's more about what you intend to do are you there to mm-hmm. just ask a question or are you there to leave a message um, and i find that if if you're doing either of those things you're more or less going to resonate with with people you know if you're doing none of those things then yeah, well, I don't know. What are you doing then? <laughs> Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this if you have nothing to say? Why are you doing this if you have nothing to ask? You need to care about something. You need to actually have questions and 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 have the desire to find those answers.
0: Just to quickly respond, I think like part of what I I love that like it's what I love about a lot of great sci-fi is that it is asking a lot of great sci-fi is defined by asking a question, what if, and then exploring that, Uh, what does that feel like? What does that, what does that do to people? Um, And it, and so it, it, uh, In often in those, those sense, it is an emerging theme or an emerging, like the question is the theme, but I also want to say that it's often a specific question or at least a specific realm of exploration versus I think, um, Oh, what I'm definitely less of a fan of is purely uh, question-based storytelling. Like, um, uh, like the sort of the J.J. J. Abrams model, where the tension of not knowing an answer is is the tension he seems to enjoy, but it actually is almost, in my mind, lacking specificity, lacking theme, because it's just going like, who knows what's behind that door? Tune in next episode, <laughs> you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So if you don't
2: um, even know if you have no guesses yourself, and you made the damn thing. Stop jerking my chain. Well, exactly. <laughs> bring up yeah. the JJ thing in front of show? I don't know. That's <laughs> dangerous.
1: <laughs> well, I feel like it's one of those cases where it's like uh, classically someone like him knows that you have to at least give the impression that you're asking questions or you're trying to give something, a, a kind of a mystery um, to real people in. But if you don't actually take that into real consideration and ask yourself, why are you doing this? Why are you um, approaching storytelling this way? Do you even care? <laughs> you know, is this something that's actually deep within you as a creator? Or are you just using it because you know that's something you have to do as you roll your eyes? You know, I know I need to reel people in. So I'm going to make this mystery box that leads to nothing. You know, it's there's a difference between knowing what to do and knowing why you have to do it.
0: I I will give uh, uh, just a slight amount of defense to JJ here in the sense that I think he does at least his intention or his belief is that that question is exciting. So his so he's living in a space where he just goes like, "Isn't this question great?" And and some audience members respond to that. They they love the not knowing and they love just living inside that question that that, that mystery box. I think. There is a segment, and I think we're probably all in agree in, in we're unanimous, at least on this podcast that like, would prefer for the person asking, uh, putting a mystery in a story to know what that mystery is themselves, you know, at least by the end of
2: telling the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or if, yeah. if your story isn't about the mystery, if in the end, it wasn't like, no, nah, man, it wasn't about the mystery all along, then what was it about? Like if you don't even yeah. have a second thing for you know, here to, then what was the point of it? Yeah, yeah.
0: like if it, 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 it's if it's just living in the tension of not knowing an answer, yeah. like
1: you can do that once. Yeah, but imagine talking <laughs> yeah. to someone like that in person, who tells stories like that. It, I mean, would you want to be that person's friend? <laughs> that would that would get old pretty fast.
2: <laughs> so nobody wants to be friends with JJ Abrams. <laughs>
1: I think he's
0: doing fine.
2: It's <laughs> all right. He can buy yeah. I think you can have the prop department build him some friends.
0: <laughs> this is Westworld again now.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess the, uh, uh, throwing the answer, or the question back at, uh, I, oh, I, I guess I was the only one that answered the question. Um, unless Jason, did you, and Nick and Nick? Jason, you're up. Yeah. yeah oh, oh, all right.
0: Uh, well, yeah. So I think the big thing for me this year was uh, especially kind of, I, I think I'm, I sort of mentioned this in my my intro is that like, I definitely got stuck this year on some story ideas that uh, for some reason I felt like I couldn't or shouldn't let go of, but that also I was having a real block in terms of addressing. And um, so so I think for one thing, just like listening to the part of myself that couldn't address it and going like, okay, well, putting the story away doesn't mean I'm burning it or or destroying it. So that was a big lesson is like, just learning to, to, to walk away, uh, was a big one. And then also on some other projects, like letting the first draft be bad, letting the first draft be real bad. Um, like uh letting that you know like writing a scene and like putting a note in there going i'll have to make this dialogue better later um was like exciting <laughs> it was thrilling because i was able to keep writing um and uh and yeah so that was a, that was probably my big my really big feeling um uh i heard dan Harmon say something to the effect of like that especially now a lot of us storytelling nerds and fans love to to critique and so like get get your document to a place where you can critique it versus waiting for it to become that perfect thing before you before you can get it out there
2: you can't fix nothing you know you can't make nothing better you got to start with something right
0: exactly yeah beautiful so yeah a little less philosophical than shows (laughs) (laughs)
2: How about you? It's How your turn, me? Nick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here I go. Okay, so probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned because I had a theory that maybe this would work for me, and then I practiced it two more times, and I was like, "Yes, this works for me." So generally, in the comic process, lettering is the last thing you do. Even in the thumbnail stage, you you leave a little bit of space for where you think the bubbles are going to go. Uh, I started taking that pro- playing with that process a bit, so that now. Regularly what I do is I thumbnail the book and then I letter it. I bring it into Illustrator and I full-on letter the thing so that you can read it. All the balloon placement is there. All of the words are there so you can see from that moment on how much room you're going to need. You can tweak the thumbnails to afford the room you need for the bubbles. And then as you move on to pencils and inks, you can even, you know what areas you don't have to put detail or work into because that's exactly where the balloon's going to go. Um, and I just found that by having that as your process, things go a lot more smoothly, especially the lettering. And then and in the rough phase with the letters on, uh, you can show it to people and get feedback before you go on and do uh, the more refined final art. So definitely give that a try if you happen to be doing the lettering for your book as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is like, I finished The Remedy, which was the comic I was working on for my master's, and. My theory for that world, because it's a whole world I was trying to build, I didn't want to do too much exposition. I was like, if I can do an emotional story to to move things along uh, instead of focusing on exposition, then no matter how confusing my world and story is, people will be on board. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. And I think it worked out. And then I watched Christopher Nolan's Tenet. And I was like, ah, so Christopher Nolan really could have valued from this same lesson. (laughs) Because <laughs> it was like a perfect example of a movie where instead of having an emotional story for us to hold on to, uh, he was so focused on exposition and all that stuff that halfway through the movie, I gave up, it was over, I love Christopher Nolan, but that movie is a perfect way for us to learn how not to do things. Mm-hmm. i agree
1: i agree
2: i'd seen in a few different directions yeah yeah Yeah. forwards and backwards (laughs) yeah so i yeah not a lot of people have good things to say about pennant but i think it's a fantastic example of something you can watch and be like ah okay i can learn a lot from this train wreck he he
0: basically fails to give you the emotional connection twice yeah
1: (laughs) yeah yeah that's true And my gosh, there was always this ominous soundtrack throughout the entire movie. Uh, It just would never turn off. It's just a side note of that movie.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've shared a little bit about what we've learned over the past half a year or so. Now we're going to move into a portion of the podcast episode that I am referring to as Pencil Town Hall. Because we will be hearing from a wide range of creators, mostly, as I said, from the comic community in Calgary, Alberta. But all of them have offered advice via email on ways to make comics, the process of making comics. And they come from such a a wide range of genres and uh, skills that I think we're really going to benefit from what they have to say. So I'm really excited to dive in here and see what they have to offer. Our very first uh, suggestion for process comes from Cam Hayden. He is the artist for B-Movie Garbage and Futility and the creator of the Red Flag comic series. He has a very uh, quirky style of art that harkens back to like old mad comics and really gnarly, grossed out drawings. But he is such a funny fella. He makes such unique work. Um, Show, would you like to read out the email that uh, Cam Hayden sent
1: us? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. I will uh, try to read as, as eloquently as I can.
2: Um, as just as eloquently as Cam Hayden speaks. so Yes.
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not good with impressions, but here we go. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, uh, Penciltown Geeks. Uh, when I'm working on a comic, I don't imagine people reading it, but I try to picture some random lone stranger stumbling across it at an estate sale or a thrift store or lying crumpled in an alley picking it up and feeling like they found some weird, curious, entertaining treasure. That's the reader that I have in mind, beyond trying to entertain myself and trying to improve my craft. I enjoy the clockwork storytelling precision of guys like uh, Chris Ware, but I also like the bizarreness of cartoonists like Fletcher Hanks, Basil Wolverton, and Michael uh, Kupperman, where straying from or avoiding conventional paths altogether – Leads to unpredictable strangeness. I think comics are the perfect medium for breaking the rules. And uh, yeah, that's that was uh, Cam's comments there.
2: Um, Does anything leap out at you, show that you were like, "Whoa, I like this."
1: Awesome. I mean, it's really interesting. I do like the uh, the the last statement there that that the comics are the perfect medium for uh, breaking the rules. I think there's always been a a kind of a, a kind of a punk rock feel to comics and, and indie comics in particular um, where you know anything can happen and and will happen um, and yeah I mean that's no surprise I mean you could really feel that with Cam Hayden's like art as well where it's like it's definitely got this rebellious uh, kind of gnarly uh, tone to it which is really really cool granted I don't, I don't really know these guys Chris Ware or uh, Fletcher Hanks but I feel like after this I'm going to have to look them up And uh, see what they're all about as well. Um, Yeah, it just kind of—it's a nice reminder that the comics medium has always been kind of, or can be, um, just a really out there kind of experience. It's not—it's not limited to uh, storytelling geeks like us, or uh, you know, to, to, to comic book superhero fans. Or you know, you could really go out into the strangeness and into into the oblivion if you want to (laughs) and come back Mm -hmm. out of it
2: yeah i love the idea here of him imagining the person at the thrift store finding his his comic crumpled up in an alley or something (laughs) uh because it's it's kind of thinking forward to how that comic you're making or that story you're creating is going to feel in the hands of a reader you know and and what the impressions are going to get just from holding this object in their hands and just thinking about that moment kind of um, impacts how you're going to create the story. Mm-hmm. I'm sure.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: I uh, I also like that he it feels like he has a specific kind of reader in mind, um, uh, like a writer, a reader that's enjoying uh, enjoying work a certain way and is looking for work in 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 a certain way. Like in a way, I think he's also kind of describing his own uh, like love for search. Uh, like he's looking for the kind of comic he'd make. That was actually a thing when I made fight comics is I was trying to make the comic I wanted to find, uh, at a, at an artist's table at a Calgary expo, you know, um, which I think is also important too. like, that's the thing I really grabbed onto was the idea of making work for a certain, uh, for a certain, uh, uh, kind of reader or a certain tenor of reader rather than simply going, I, I want my readership to be everybody, you know, um, there's a specificity there, which I think can be really helpful, and it means that you can, you're you're aiming your story choices in a particular direction.
1: Absolutely, I think there's also um, ample opportunity for just like genuine um, like storytelling, or, or or just like just just being absolutely genuine about what you're trying to do is is something that um, I think takes a lot of courage. It, it, at least it seems that way to me. You know, to just kind of just kind of do what you want to do. Um, and not be too worried about what other people think.
2: All right. Thanks so much for that response, Cam Hayden. Lots to learn there. Um, our next one comes from Jillian Dolan. Uh, they're the artist for the Frankenstein comic, which is being run, it's a web comic being run on Tongue and Cheek Comics. I believe Chad Colpips is the writer for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jillian also did a comic called Misha, I believe with Keith Callback, which is, if I, memory stirs me, Correctly, it's about Dolph Lundgren versus a bear. <laughs> uh, and it's beautifully drawn, and it's an amazing comic. Yeah. And currently, Jillian is also a student at the Alberta University of the Arts. Uh, I remember looking at Jillian's thumbnails once at one of the panel one get togethers and I was just sitting there with a big pint of beer and Jillian showed me the thumbnails that they were working on for this project. Mm -hmm. And I was so blown away by the detail and the beauty of the thumbnails that I just like did a classic Nick Johnson spasm and almost knocked my beer all over the drawings. I remember the table was like, oh! Oh, God, I think
0: I was there for that.
2: (laughs) I was like, I'm so sorry. Uh, These thumbnails, they're beautiful. Uh, I almost destroyed them, but yeah, they're gorgeous. So they're beer spillingly good. Uh, Jason, would you like to read just a few of the incredible um, nuggets of knowledge that Jillian sent us here?
0: Totally. Um, So yeah, things, uh, so this is Jillian speaking, things I say about a lot about comics. Authenticity is infinitely more valuable than novelty. Anyone can mash elements together to create mediocre permutations that feel new. Not everyone can tell an old story well, and no matter how modern a story feels, the core is always old. If you are a creator from a historically underrepresented population, you are not a bargain bin knockoff of your non-minority peers. Your work is as, as valuable as anyone else practicing at your level. Don't accept less. You also don't owe anyone your trauma or your struggles. Tapping into that should be your creative choice, not the price you pay to be included. At the same time, your story has to va- ha- Your story has value to others who typically don't see themselves in media. There's always a welcome space for that if you decide to share.
1: Interesting.
0: Brilliant.
2: A lot of good nuggets there. Oh my God, yes. Uh, Jason, anything leap out to you right off the bat?
0: Oh God. I mean, uh, like it's, it's all good. I think I, I love the idea of authenticity uh, is more in, infinitely more valuable than novelty. Um, I definitely feel like I've seen too many stories that, that, uh, have just tried to be new. Um, we talked about tenant in a way and it felt like there was like, how many new crazy ideas can I throw in here? Um, uh, but whereas telling an old story, well, that's like, that's much harder, but I, th- I would say much more valuable. Um, Uh, and I, I really appreciate what she's saying here about, um, uh, not owing anyone your struggles. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's something I, I don't know that I've, I don't, I, I don't have any personal experience with that, but I think that just the notion of, of, uh, giving creators permission to not feel like they need to present a certain part of themselves, uh, because they think that people want to see that, I think is is valuable. And actually, following, going back to that sense of authenticity, following the authentic story idea that they're interested in, um, and not uh, uh, and not maybe giving what what they feel people are demanding of them. Mm.
1: And I find this, uh, her her comment there, the second um, comment there about um, if you are not a a creator from historically underrepresented population, you're not a bargain bin knockoff of your non-primary peer or non-minority peers, rather. that's really interesting because um, I think a lot of people who are minorities have their own unique stories that um, can and should be told. Um, and they don't need to be measured against work that already exists. If anything, you need to have your own voice and and, and be genuine about that voice. Um, that's something that I sort of think about for myself, too, being somewhat of a minority. It it, it doesn't seep into my work, but it, I am becoming increasingly aware of it. And I don't exactly know myself how that influences my approach to storytelling, but it has made me more open and aware of the idea that maybe my point of view, because of the way I look, because I'm a little different, um, might actually have a unique perspective that isn't often shared or often seen in the medium. So I think that's really important to value yourself and the stories that you you have based on your experiences
2: what i'm appreciating that we've gotten a lot from people that we've talked to over this season is people are really considering uh the creative or the kind of tool that we can have on our mental health when we create work and how it makes us vulnerable and sometimes we push too hard um and so really taking the time to take care of ourselves while we're creating this work um, yeah, as I said, Jillian submitted so many awesome things. I'd really like to have Jillian on the show in the future and talk about some of the other things that were brought up because they were fantastic. So definitely going to try to get that organized. Um, moving on, we've got some uh, – I keep saying wanting to say feedback, but it's not feedback. We've got some advice from Jarrett Hartnell, who's a recent graduate of Alberta University of the Arts. Uh, On his website, jerryhartnell.com, he shares pages from comics he's created called Vist and Bad Sun. He's got lush inks and really fantastic brushwork. He teaches classes about inking in Calgary and um, uses these really bright, saturated colors, high energy, create this neon glow that is very eye-catching and very cool. And because Jared is currently working on his first original graphic novel, which I know is a long one, I was like, Jared, you got to <laughs> give us some insight into your process right now because you're in the thick of it. Uh, and Jarrett sent me this. Uh, what I've been going through being out of school is trusting yourself. I got really accustomed to double-checking everything with peers, pros, teachers, and letting go of that urge and just allowing my work to be what it is. It's allowed me to like my work more and feel more confident and capable. There will always be things to improve on and tweak. Uh, I love this because I too am someone, I mean, I have a podcast all about storytelling and, and, and crafting and all this stuff. So you can see that I'm definitely a person who Uh, checks with other people and runs my story ideas by other people and sometimes that search for perfection and tweaking can be overpowering Mm. but the idea of just trusting yourself to make a thing sometimes is so important and so valuable uh really great that he mentioned that
1: Mm -hmm. i think i absolutely agree with that because it's like i found that was the case for myself too and and sort of seeing my other peers that like you can kind of stay in the sort of um educational sort of like training mode for a while, but at some point you have to tell yourself, I got to get out of this and just do what I got to do, you know, and trust yourself essentially. Um, And I think that's really important. Like it's good to always be sort of critical about your own work, but at the same time, don't let it hinder your, uh, your ability to trust yourself.
0: I think there's also, uh, this was kind of connected to my point about like getting the vomit draft out. Um, uh, is that sometimes, yeah, like just getting, being able to get to a place where you can get enough of something hopes that you, you, you even yourself can know what it looks like uh, without worrying about what it looks like halfway through.
2: Um, all right. So thanks so much for that, Jarrett. Uh, we're going to be moving on to our next piece of advice offered up to us by Kelly Porteous of Moon Jelly Creations. Uh, Kelly is the creator of the comic Under the Dead Skies, which is a really cool horror comic they've been working on for quite a long time. Um, Lots of pages under their belt there. Kelly's work features beautiful colors, wonderfully rendered figures, and costume design. Really great work. Uh, Sho, would you like to read Kelly's letter here, please?
1: Yeah, sure. First and foremost, I really would suggest starting shorter comics. I made the mistake of starting a really, really long comic, and even at over 200 pages, I was nowhere near being finished, and it's very intimidating, especially for a first project. If you're starting something small, you're much less likely to get burnt out, and it gives you a chance to see how your own work habits own work habits are and what your preferences are you you wouldn't want to start a full color 500 plus page project only to discover 100 pages in that you're you'd rather work in black and white Um, plus it is so satisfying to finish a project and hold that book in your hands that's interesting Um, and also when you do get work when you do get to work on that big project no matter how tempting it would be Do not go back and redo old pages. No matter how much better you think your art looks now, no matter how embarrassing you think your old art is, your readers are are likely won't even notice the transition. And the people that will notice are more likely to be in awe of your progress rather than be horribly negative. Artists will always be our own worst critics.
2: I think that's absolutely true. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tons of truth bombs in this one here.
0: This was like part of the whole reason I started doing fight comics uh, was specifically so that I could get a bunch of short stories done. Um, and the idea that it was going to be different artists, different uh, different stories meant that it wasn't even about continuing a character, continuing a, a universe. It was just like, can I, can I tell a story concisely? Um, uh, because I'm, like, I like, I like the idea of starting an issue one of something is in fact, like, A lot of us just just uh, imitating what we've seen in the comics we consumed as kids, especially superhero comics. And so we just assume that that must be what the medium is. But instead, uh, yeah, like I think just just to say that idea of getting stuff, doing short stories, getting a lot of short stories, getting them done. I think that's great advice. I've heard so many people come up to me at at events or uh, or what have you and say, like, hey, I've got this great idea for a comic. It's going to be this huge, big thing. I'm like, hold on. Mm. Have you ever written anything before? No. Do you know how to draw? No. I'm like, okay, well you've got a few things to do before you worry about your 500 page graphic novel.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, Even just like, like, as if I were to stick to what I've just learned when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old, which was the Marvel method, the Marvel way of doing things and try to create a, you know, a a 500 page epic from that starting point, uh, you know, I don't think, I come out of it. It just it would be different. It wouldn't be something that I would necessarily feel was like my best work. Um, and so I think it's it's important to sort of immerse or immerse oneself into the world of comics, not just as a creator but as a fan of the of the of, of comics, and even start to understand the subtleties like like page layouts, like panels and stuff. What do you like about panels? about certain panels. What don't you like about certain panels? You know, you can, all those things that you don't necessarily have to follow a, 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 a strict method, especially after you've read so many comics uh, in a longer span of time, you start to know the things you like and don't like about um, the comics you've read. You can start to build your own visual language as well. When you take the time to, to read comics and also do some shorter comics of your own and experiment. Um, all of us want to do an epic but very rarely do those epics you know just kind of happen out of you know thin air it, it it often involves a lot of planning and a lot of um just immersing oneself into into that that medium um so definitely take the time that epic can wait
2: <laughs> yes or if uh, there's one thing I was, I've been advising for a little while now is kind of doing the Mike Manola Hellboy method where it's like he did tell a very long epic story that spanned 10 years or whatever, maybe even 20. Um, but he started with those short stories and those short stories explored the world. They experimented with tone. Uh, he, his style slowly evolved as he went through them. So he started to figure out these little things and every story that he finished built up the world developed his style, taught him new lessons. And it was through that he was able to build up eventually to the large magnum opus that we know today. So if you've got a big world you want to explore, start it in the shortest little stories you can. And each one will teach you something about your process and about this world that you're trying to create. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
2: And then the last thing I wanted to uh, mention about Kelly's uh, thing here is your readers likely won't even notice the transition of when your art changes for the better as you're becoming a better artist. And I love that because I've flipped through some of my older work before, and you can literally see as the pages go by things to get get simpler and more confidently drawn, but readers never notice that stuff. It's just us artists who kind of get hung up on it, like, ah, his nose is different, or, oh, the hands are all sloppy at first, Mm but people don't really care. They just get dragged along.
0: one, one other quick quick note, uh, and I, Kelly has not fallen into this trap, but I think it's worth noting is that uh, um, coming up with a grand magnum opus epic as the first thing you want to do is often also a good way to give yourself an excuse to never do it or never finish. Mm. Um, uh, because like you know you you'll always have that thing you're working on occasionally, you know, like a, a page a year, <laughs> you know um, And because it's so big, uh, the, the 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 scale is sort of beyond your horizon. Um, so yeah, basically avoid that trap of giving yourself a project so big that you're that you can you've never failed because you've never
1: finished. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. You know, hundred percent. It's totally cool to have a magnum opus. Just make sure it's not the only thing you're working on, <laughs> <laughs> or the first thing. <laughs> or the first, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. All right, Kelly. Thank you so much for incredible amount of awesome awesome advice so Jason yeah. you're going to be reading one from Aaron Navrati who is the creator of the Cold Fire which is a book that focuses on 13th century nights during the Crusades might be one of the most beautiful goddamn comics I have ever seen his mastery of watercolor washes and beautiful figure renderings and historically accurate costumes is breathtaking to see. So we're, uh, yeah, lucky to hear from Aaron. Jason, go ahead. Mm.
0: So this is Aaron speaking. The thing that I've been chewing on of late is how much time it should it take to finish a page? I am told professionals finish an inked page a day. Correct me if I'm wrong. My ink and watercolor pages take about a week per page, the pace of tree sap as it makes its way down the tree. I I feel on the one hand, rushing through the work leaves me feeling disconnected from what I am doing. And with so many comics being produced today, it seems important that we put time and research in to develop, to build more depth into our stories. But on the other hand, if I don't haul ass, I won't have time to create all the stories I have on the grill. Those are my thoughts for 2020. Um, I mean, I love Aaron's work. And I, I think what I love about this statement, I think that's interesting, is that he's both expressing a desire to want to move faster, but also a desire to, for it to want to take the time it takes. And I think it's interesting to live in that, in that tension. Um, like when he was saying professionals ink a page a day, part of me was kind of thinking like, what is the nature, uh, or the value of a comparison there? Um, because who is he comparing himself to and are they kind of doing, are they even trying to do the kind of work he's doing? Um, I'll say to anyone that hasn't read the cold fire, uh, the time Aaron takes shows on the page in the best possible way. Absolutely. Um, like every, every element of that book is exactly, I think, the kind of book that I think he wants to, to see in the world and that no part of it, I mean, I, I, I shouldn't maybe speak too far for him, but I, but it doesn't, it feels like that there's nothing on that book. There's nothing that's in that book that uh, that he got out just to get it out.
1: Yeah. You bet. 100%. Yeah. It has a different tone to it altogether, as a result, and and also like, to compare, like what is it like? Inkers have to ink a page a day. That's like that's under different circumstances as well, right? It's like, it's another person writing the script. It's another person doing the colors. Another person doing the pencils, right? I would I would assume in in the sort of the, the uh, the industry standard, if you will, or method. Um, and so, yeah, there are a lot of different circumstances there where, yeah, it would allow an inker to ink one page a day. But if you're an indie creator and you're doing all of it, you know, inking one page a day, sure, that'd be great. But <laughs> I mean, keep in mind, you're wearing a lot of hats, too. You're not just wearing an inker's hat. Right. You're, you're taking everything on simultaneously. So... Um, So I guess my point there being that, you know, um, I think it's okay if you don't ink a page a day (laughs) Um, because those are different circumstances, right? So I guess it just depends on your circumstance.
2: Um, Yeah, and it goes back to what you were saying, Show, about like, oh, the Marvel way. This is how they do it at Marvel. And I mean, since I was a kid, I was like... How does the comic get made? How long do they have for it? One day to pencil a page, one day to do this, one day to do this. And I was like, this is how comics are made. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I think that kind of thinking gets drilled into you so early on as a creator. And you're still focused on what you can't do in real comics. You're like, I can't ink a comic with markers. I have to use brushes and croquo pens. No, 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 that's bullshit. Oh, I can't use flat colors I have to do like really shiny with 50 layers nope fuck that oh I have to use a ruler when I draw buildings nope that's also bullshit you know <laughs> none of those are people that you need to make a comic nice. and I think it's so difficult sometimes to let that go and just make the way you want to make mm-hmm. so it's really cool here that uh Aaron is, is is allowing this to take the time it needs though I also understand the frustration of wanting to get stories out and it's just taking so goddamn along. Mm-hmm. It's a tough one to reconcile. Yeah,
1: I understand that as well.
2: Cool. Well, thanks so much for that advice, Aaron. We're moving right along here. Look at this pace, this speed. This is uh, <laughs> unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this next one is from Zach Schuster, who recently uh, had a successful Kickstarter campaign for his book Thread Volume 1, mm-hmm. uh, which looks fantastic. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, and we're hoping... we can get Zach on the show at some point. Mm -hmm. Zach says, I find you learn the most from a project once it's finished. So the more short stories you can bang out when you're starting out, the quicker you'll improve. And if you're stuck for ideas, just combine stuff you like. For my first full-length graphic novel, Thread Volume 1, I combined my love of Norse mythology, the sense of exploration from Zelda games, and the non-sequential storytelling style from Hellboy Comics. However, I approached it as a series of short stories, which seemed way less daunting than staring down a full-length book and kept me motivated to finish the project. So really concise advice there from Zach and very helpful. It speaks exactly to what we were talking about with short stories, uh, kind of the Hellboy process as well. Mm -hmm. And I love this idea of combining all the things that you love into one thing Mm -hmm. and seeing what Kind of gets produced from that
1: i even have his book in my hands oh uh, he's holding it i can see it nick and jason can see That's it it's amazing but the audience can't but it's this nice square Woo! format book and it's oh it's just it's a gorgeous little book it's, it's
2: great is it is it beside you because it's going to be your Town spotlight
1: uh maybe <laughs> whoa
2: all right cool <laughs> it has to be now, because if you don't, Zach will listen and be like, "Oh man!"
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks <into> for that, Nick.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't think about that.
0: He can have two town spotlights. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the other thing I like here is um, he says he approached it as a series of short stories, which made it seem less daunting mm-hmm. than a full-length book. And I can see, like, I'm working on. I mean, one of my side projects is working on a novella. And the only way I can conceive of finishing it is each chapter I'm treating as a short story. And, you know, I would give myself a couple months to do a short story, which is easy to to wrap my head around. But to say, hmm, in two years, I want to have a novella done, that seems unmanageable and impossible. So Mm. I think that kind of advice works uh, through many different media, and it's a good one.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. No, it's a good approach. And as a result, it's yeah, it's just this wonderful wonderful book.
2: All right. So our last submission here is from Chad Colpitz, who I say is starting to create something I refer to as the Chad Empire in Calgary because <laughs> he's the the creator of tongue in cheek comics and he's worked with so many different artists in Calgary from around the world on books like The Streaker, B Movie Garbage, Frankenstein. And, um, yeah, he's putting out a lot of product and helping people print comics. He's a stellar dude. Really funny. Really cool. Um, who's turn is it to read? Joe, are you up?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I could give you an uh, an approximation of, uh, of Chad. Okay. So this is what he had to say for us. Uh, usually when I first come up with an idea, I roll it around in my head a bit to kind of shape how it would start and how it would end and possibly a few points in between. If I'm smart, I'll write these down so I don't forget, but I don't always do that. Once I've actually decided to commit to an idea, I just jump right to the script. For me, I find the, way, the best way to flesh out the characters and uh, the way they act is just start the story and see what happens. Before you know it, you have a pace and a growing understanding of, uh, of the story you're telling and how to tell it. Some of my favorite parts in my stories are scenes that were completely unplanned and just happens to unfold. The main reason I like the dive in approach is because it keeps me from spending too much time nitpicking the plot. I feel if I spend too much time plotting, I'll never actually write anything. This method probably won't work for everyone, but i like it. It keeps me motivated and prevents me from dragging my feet. And I had the pleasure of sort of working with, with Chad as well on a short uh, on a short comic and I could so I, I saw sort of firsthand sort of his his um, uh, approach and um, yeah I'm, I'm definitely in awe uh, at sort of the the speed and and how much he leaves to instinct um, which often leads to some really interesting really cool scenarios in the story so I you know it's 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 a real pleasure to see that that approach actually start to take shape um, in a project. So, yeah, I don't know that's that's really cool. I think there's there's something to be said there about just sort of, you know, again, kind of like trusting your instincts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and not being too bogged down by the plot, the, the details of the plot in every step of the way.
2: I respect it very much as being a way that's very different to how we talk about making stories usually on this podcast. So we talk a lot mm-hmm. about like, oh, get your theme in place, and get your characters in place. Um, And this is basically a different approach where you kind of, you start and you go, you enjoy exploring the road as you're walking it. And it just goes to show that there are so many different ways that you can make a story and you really have to find ways that suit you and that kind of entertain you as well. (laughs) Mm Because if you're getting bored as you're making it, (laughs) maybe you should change your process.
1: Yeah, because it's kind of interesting because I I kind of fall in in the bracket of the two ways, I guess. So it's like, because I'll have my three-act structure sort of plotted Mm -hmm. in on paper um but then there are will there will be details that i i personally still don't quite know until i actually start to go into the panels and the pages and sketch them out beat for beat Mm -hmm. so there's there's still a a, for me a certain level of instinct and sort of blindness going into it blindly to some degree but still having a a bridge if you will or a a guide um you're, you're not completely blind so it's it's interesting. I can I can sort of see the value between both approaches and sort of combining the two. You know,
0: there's definitely like a a freshness. I think that that's allowed for there rather than, um, you know, getting so focused on building the perfect uh, um, uh, blueprint for your story that you then sort of slavishly follow it. Uh, it allows for it allows for that moment of discovery. And I think uh, I think it also what it's really kind of talking about too is something we've even said. I think it's sort of been. An emergent theme, if you will, uh, that uh, just getting stuff done and getting stuff out uh, can be more important than um, uh, than trying to get it to be perfect all the time and and finding excuses not to finish or not to do something. Um, that's that's something that I like a lesson I really take there is like to to dive in, especially like say for example in my case, if I'm feeling like I've dwelt a little too long in that in that sort of blueprint. Um, you know, internal dialogue with myself about why I want to tell this story. Maybe I I just need to start telling the story and see what the story is trying to tell me.
2: Thank you, Chad, for that piece of advice. And thank you to all of the creators who submitted stuff for this episode. We couldn't be more appreciative. And it just, I don't know, it just makes me feel so good to know that there are all these really skilled people willing to share uh, and Mm -hmm. help out the community. So thank you, everybody.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it warms my heart as well. So many thanks.
2: We'll be sharing all of the social media links and details and websites for all of the contributors in our show notes. So be sure to head over to our page to check that out and look at the art of all of these incredible creators. Um, And that's going to wrap up the main body of our episode today. But we have a very important piece that we can't forget. Ladies and gentlemen, we missed it last time. It's the Pencil Town Spotlight. <laughs> uh, okay, so welcome to the Pencil Town Spotlight. Let's uh, let's start off with show today. Show, do you want to surprise us all with what your Pencil Town Spotlight is <laughs> for the day? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so for those who have not listened to the entire episode and are just tuning in at this moment, one of my, <laughs> my one of my Penciltown uh, spotlights is, uh, in fact, Thread by the Zach Schuster, um, and uh, oh, it's, it's just so good. Um, his art is really fantastic. The colors are amazing. Uh, it's it's uh, it it follows a, a mute girl named Thread. Uh, in a post-Ragnarok Norse world uh, narr- narrated by her companion um, uh, Vasir, a sentient puddle of God's spit that she carries around in a flask. Now, if that premise does not catch your attention, I don't know what will, um, <laughs> but it's really, it's really quite good and it's, it's fun. Um, it's, 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 it's definitely broken down into short stories and it, it, it and it. uh all comes together quite nicely um it's a fantastic book if you if you haven't definitely check it out um and it also comes with concept art in his book and sort of his uh process which is really cool i love books with process uh-huh.
2: um
1: and uh yeah I, I don't know if this is available for um because this was in the kickstarter i got it in his kickstarter uh, but it, it mine came with like some nice little. Uh, like bookmarks and stickers and stuff. So, or, or a pin rather, a bookmark and a pin. So um, that's really handy too. So yeah, just a really well done, really well done book. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely a part of me is jealous that it's so awesome. Um, so definitely check that out. And my second recommendation would actually be a wordless book um, by Derek Lothman called Bot9. And uh, you could find his stuff at... Uh, Derek and this one's about uh about a fish that finds itself on an eye-opening journey in the head of a robot so I like robots and I like wordless comics so this was like the perfect the perfect mix for me um it's kind of done as like this cartoony style um and uh, yeah, just kind of for anybody out there who's sort of curious about what's out there for wordless comics, this is sort of a brand new one. I, th- I, I saw this on Instagram um, and I, I fall for Instagram ads quite often, um, but this one was a really good purchase. This I do not regret at all. So yeah, for those out there looking for a, a, a quirky and fun uh, wordless comic, uh, Bot9 is a really neat one. So definitely check that out.
2: Jason, what do you have to share with us today? Uh,
0: so I mentioned it earlier on, uh, but Asterios Polyp was a book I reread. Uh, I did a lot of rereading in the pandemic. Um, I mentioned some of them before in the in the show, uh, like the Odyssey book, is, just blew my mind. That's actually an interesting book about art being potentially too good because it's so psychedelically colored, um, and the, but the writing is also so psychedelically strangely written that that it is a good fix. But mysterious polyp uh is is basically you're you're seeing a master craftsman of the of the of the medium um he's got these two characters that see the world very differently and so when he illustrates them he often illustrates them in a style that suits how they see the world um uh which is just it's beautiful to see when you're reading it um the the moments of the story are so incredibly well told and and uh, um, yeah, I was just in awe reading it. Uh, it. One thing that I think was interesting, the first time I read it, I found that the main character, Asterios, to be unlikable. And I think that that, that element for me has remained, but uh, I see, I feel like I have a greater depth of uh, of respect for why that unlikable, unlikableness is important to how the story is structured and how the story progresses. And yeah, like I... I loved it even more the second time, and I loved it the first time. So, um, so that's that's uh, one of my comic recommendation, and then my non-comic recommendation is *Shira and the Princesses of Power* on Netflix, uh, which is so charming. It's beautiful. It's like the art is is uh, uh, fun. Like the 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 narrative is like, although it's definitely still geared in a child in a youthful fashion. Um, it's still just um, compellingly written, and like I still empathize with these characters. It's a uh, um, it's feel good uh, feel good storytelling that doesn't that isn't pandering to me or trying to avoid uh, real emotion.
1: I second that. Yeah, it's a good show.
0: And actually, I think a comic writer writes it.
2: Noel Stevenson.
0: Yeah, Noel Stevenson.
2: Oh, cool. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard such awesome things. For my Puppet Spotlight today. Raina Telgemeier is no stranger to anybody who, who reads comics, I find, especially if you've got kids. Um, she has a book called Guts, which I read for the first time. Uh, I read it while I was on a residency of my partner natasha's and i was suffering some severe anxiety which led to panic attacks for the first time in my life and to settle down i started reading a comic called guts which was all about anxiety and panic attacks and i was like oh shit, i don't think i can do this right now but after a few days i calmed down and managed to get a hold of things and i read guts all the way through and it's a beautiful book uh similar to smile in the way that it's autobiographical it's honest it's sincere, but it's so fun and relatable. The comic is so damn good, and I recommend it to everybody. Uh, I think kids especially will respond to it, but adults as well will find so much here to love. Um, and on the non-comic front, also while I was on the island, I started dipping into Isaac Asimov's Foundation series for the first time. Mm. And uh, yeah, Jason is pumping his arms up in the air. Uh, I read Asimov in, during my undergrad and, it didn't really connect with me, and I thought it was a little bit cold, but now I think my body was just ready for ideas. It was ready for the idea of people solving problems who are clever, who use violence as a last resort, who think beyond their own life. They think hundreds of years into the future and the effects that their actions will have. And it was the exact kind of you know, optimism and cleverness and and just smartness <laughs> in creation. Um, and in a vision of the future that I was just craving. And I'm four books into it now, and I'm just blown away at how inventive it is. And there's some great characters in there, and I highly recommend it. I believe Apple is doing an adaptation, which will be on Apple TV next year, which would be interesting to see. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I highly recommend the books. The first three are slim little books, but they're just jam-packed with incredible ideas. So definitely check it out. Uh, excellent. So that's it for that. We are going to share our social media deets and plugs. Uh, Jason, do you have any plugs and deets that you want to share with everybody?
0: Uh, nothing, nothing coming out soon enough to, 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 uh, to push it out here, but you can find me at jasonmemel.com. And, uh, my comics are at fightcomics.ca just as it sounds. Um, yeah. And I'm on all of the regular social medias under my, my full name, Jason Memel. You can find me that way.
2: You're on another podcast too.
0: I'm on a few. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting that. Um, yeah, so the the change agents book that Nick is drawing, uh, James has us on a uh, on a podcast that that goes along with that, and it's about comics for social change, or uh, comics as it relates to social change. We've covered uh, God Loves, Man Kills. Uh, we've covered Mouse um we've covered a few other a few other books and we've got more on the way i think president luthor is also on our list all the heavyweights <laughs> all the heavyweights exactly <laughs> i think we're, we're we're trying to have some fun as well as some seriousness and uh yeah and i'm also uh i've, I've done a have jumped on a few um episodes of a podcast called talk gnosis which is a podcast that gets into a lot of like uh, esoteric ideas um we did one on like some esoteric uh, and actually some nick you'll appreciate this some Jungian ideas around halloween and the shadow oh. and uh we just did one on arthurian christmas stories um so yeah that that episode, that podcast is called talknosis very
2: cool thank yeah. you uh show how about yourself deets and plugs mm, just uh
1: deets no plugs at the moment um yeah just Yeah, just uh, people can catch me, my work rather, on showyouhar.com and I have my social social media uh, details there. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. So yeah, people can come and find me there as well. Uh, Yeah, that's about it.
2: Awesome, thank you. And for myself, Nick Johnson, you can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at Illustrated Nick. On my website, nickj.ca, my process blog, nicksoup.com, Both of these sites have a shop function, and it'll take you to a Gumroad account where I'm selling some digital versions of my comics. And the big release uh, for the last season was The Remedy, which is the book I was working on during my undergrad. It's a cyberpunk surrealist comic that takes place in a a post-catastrophic world covered in water, but it dips into ideas of surrealism and, and Jungian theory and really hopefully just tells a really emotional little story in a very strange yet familiar world so uh, please check that out if you've got uh, some time and in the inclination and um,
1: it's really good check it out folks check it out ah
2: uh, thanks show. <laughs> and as for the pencil town podcast you can catch us on Twitter at penciltown pod uh, via email the penciltown podcast at gmail.com and our show notes at the penciltown podcast blogspot.com and And uh, yeah, as you can hear, we'd love to hear people's feedback on the shows, but also advice on how to make comics, make comics better. So we're always open to hearing that. So thank you. Thank you so damn much to the creators who contributed to this episode. We'll be hearing from some of these folks in our second season, as well as some other creators who have been interviewed in the past in the hopes of really starting to make Pencil Town more of a communal experience. Uh, We've also got some really awesome episodes on the docket about how to build scenes in comics, how to juice up those scenes, how to overcome creative roadblocks, how to create tension in comics, creating wordless comics, and so much more. So we're really excited about what our second season has in store. We're just going to take a couple months to uh, build up a backlog of them so we can release them more regularly. Uh, Jason, show, thank you so much for embarking on this podcast journey with me thus far and for joining me today. It's much appreciated.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: It's been an honor. So we hope you enjoyed your visit to Penciltown today. We want you to stay happy, healthy, and cozy over the winter season, my friends. And until we meet again, make good work and be good to each other. Yo.
1: Audio sound good?